I think finding out people's why is really important to motivate them. What is their purpose? If you can find out someone's why, you can link your motivation strategies to that. Welcome to Building Teams with Matt Nunn. As a coach and as a leader of 150 people, Matt loves to build and lead strong teams. From CEOs to professional athletes, join him as he has honest, candid conversations about how to cultivate strong teams. Proudly presented by Nun Media, Australia's largest media buying agency. Hello, and thanks for joining me. I'm Matt Nunn. On today's episode of Building Teams, I'll be speaking with Fleur McIntyre. Fleur is the assistant coach for the current NBL champions, the Sydney Kings. She also created history by becoming the first ever female to win an NBL championship. Prior to joining the Kings, Fleur completed a PhD in health science and worked at the University of Notre Dame for over 12 years where she had the position of Head of Exercise and Sports Science. Fleur has also had her own success on the court, playing 270 games with the Cockburn Cougars and winning club MVP award five times. Her academic background paired with her skills on the court have made her an asset to the Sydney Kings coaching staff. Hi Fleur and thanks for joining me. Thanks Matt, happy to be here. First of all, probably just like to get to know you a little bit more. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing from a sporting and schooling point of view and if you had any major influences throughout that journey. So I am a country WA kid, grew up in uh, the country of Western Australia. My dad is a mining engineer, so I've lived in a lot of little mining towns across Western Australia. So as a country kid, you tend to play any sport that's going. So I was thrown into sport very, very quickly. Both my parents played locally and our family is obviously very heavy on the sport. And growing up in mining towns and in the country, you play whatever's going. So that was a uh, really nice upbringing that I got to experience lots of different sports. Uh, As I got to sort of my teenage years, was better at basketball. I moved to Perth when I was 15 and when I got to Perth I was able to go down and start playing in the State Basketball League which was the NBL 1 I guess it is now. Yeah I made my debut there when I was 15, was one of the youngest sort of running around and was heavily involved in basketball. I think the major sort of influences in my life have obviously been my parents and being a country kid I think you're taught just to roll with it a little bit and I think that was a major part of the way that I am now nothing seems to phase me too much I'm always happy to tackle what's in front of me and I credit growing up in the country a lot to that very fortunate in Perth as well that was able to play under some really really great coaches and be involved with coaches like I sort of went into coaching as I was still playing and started in coaching juniors and junior state teams and some really nice influences and mentors that I've had along the way before making the move to Sydney to start beginning work with the Sydney Kings. And the Kings had an amazing last season. It doesn't get much better than winning the championship, but also you were the first ever female to win an NBL championship. What do you think are the building blocks for a great team? Look, I think that there's a few things that you probably need to consider for the catalyst to be a great team. I think we were really blessed last year with some incredible talent. There's there's no doubt. But aside from that, and that tended to be people's narrative, I felt like when they were talking about the Kings, was just purely the talent. And I was fortunate enough, Matthew, that I had a front row seat every day to seeing the work ethic, the competitiveness and the environment that we were in. So it went beyond, I think, 
just purely talent with us. And I think we established very, very early in creating an environment where that competitiveness and that toughness was fostered every single day in the drills that we did, in the individual workouts. And I think by creating that environment and having guys buy into that style of play and knowing that that's where we wanted to go and that's how we wanted to be defined, it allowed our talent to excel. And we've obviously found a hook that worked for us. You know, we sort of coined ourselves there was a sort of video that we showed and we coined ourselves the dogs. Like that's who we wanted to be. We wanted to be dogs in everything we did. And that identity, and it came about organically. It wasn't planned. And I think it was really interesting that just from that moment, it ended up being taken upon by the boys and fostered across this year and just led us. Like whenever we went into the road and whenever things got hostile, we were ultimately at this stage that nothing phased us. We had complete belief in each other, our systems and our processes. For me, that was key in terms of the building blocks for our success and that ultimately ended in a championship. So in, in that team, who was the best leader on last year's team and what put them above other people? It's really funny. We we actually at the start of the year didn't name a, name a really a captain. We wanted to see and empower everyone to lead. And I think that's something that I've certainly gotten better at as I've gotten older. I think you've always sort of become accustomed to, well, there's one leader or there's two leaders and they're the only people that can ever, you know, they say anything and they lead us. And I think, again, Sean Bruce and Xavier Cooks are two guys that people look to. And they were our natural leaders in that two of our older guys, uh, Zave tends to set the standard, an absolute competitive beast on court. And so is Brucie. And both of them are quite vocal. And I think they tend to set the example. But it was really nice across the season in that we also had other guys that were willing to lead and step up. And you don't have to be the loudest guy in the room to be a leader. I think Jarrell Martin is the quietest man in the entire world, but he has a quiet determination about him and his work ethic is incredible. I think younger guys like Angus Glover, I think DJ Vasiljevic was another one, like everyone had moments. So for me, it was about that collective approach to leadership. And while Brucey and Zave were our leaders, there were times where everyone, you know, was willing to step up and be a voice or set a standard in behavior that we needed in certain moments. From your coaching point of view, how would you describe your philosophy, whether it be your approach to building a team? And obviously last year, you know, you won a championship, but there would have been elements there at the start of the season where you really tried to build it. From your point of view, you know, what's your philosophy? My philosophy, I think, is sort of based around my key values and the things that I I value. And I think I try and live those values so that when I'm coaching a team, they can see that I'm living the things that I value and the things that I want them to embrace as well. So I think I think every coach wants to help individuals fulfill their potential and collectively as a team or an organization get us to a common goal, whether that's winning the championship or making playoffs, but obviously then helping individuals untap and unlock their potential and reach their own goals, I think is one of the I guess most coaches would say that's that's what they're there for. That's their why. But my values, I think, underpinning that and I think the things that I try and live by is finding joy and fun in everything that you do. And I think having elements of humility and gratitude are really important when you're on this journey. And I also think competitiveness and toughness is another one. So we try and create an environment where there's accountability and there's hard work and that you're ready every day to compete. Um, and I think as a coaching staff, I really feel really fortunate at the Sydney Kings because I think we set that standard and I think we live those values every single day. So it's easy for us to unpart that 
on our players because when you live it and you're setting the standard of behavior, I think players tend to engage with that more. And the other thing that I really value is connection and care. And I think that leads to selflessness with the basketball, sharing connection and care for your teammates, for the community, for your staff. And I think in any team, that's a really important value and key element for people to come together because ultimately in life, it's not about you as an individual. And often when you're in this pathway of professional sport, that's who you are. You're relying on yourself. It is about you a lot of the time. But I think if you're able to share that and help to connect and bring joy and happiness, then ultimately I think you're going to be better off as a person. So before joining the Sydney Kings, you worked at Notre Dame University for over 12 years. I did. How has your academic background shaped your coaching and leadership style? I think teaching really helped me heading into coaching. So I'm obviously used to teaching people. And I think as you evolve and as you get older, my teaching style evolved as well, you know, and you developed certain skills. And I think being able to engage and connect with people and also work with people from all different walks of life and diversity. And it really helped me to understand individuals rather than just engaging with an entire classroom. I pride myself in getting to know the people that I'm working with and figuring out what makes them tick and how I can help them and how I can engage with them more. So that's one thing that I think's really helped me in the coaching space and moving into the MBL. And the other thing is as well, I think when you're in teaching and at the university, I have a really strong background in research is that I'm inherently curious by nature. I'm always trying to learn. I'm always trying to figure things out and look at things differently. And I think that curiosity holds me in really good stead. And I think it is also something that I love that from my players as well. Like I love that we always want to be curious. I don't think you ever stop learning or ever stop trying to figure things out and grow and certain things come up and moments and, you know, we're always faced with different circumstances and trying to figure out solutions and navigate your way through that. So I think those elements of university teaching, as well as working with young people who are incredibly dynamic and complex, has held me in very good stead as I've moved into this journey into the MBL. Now, I've heard you say that resilience is an important part of the way you coach. How do you teach resilience? This seems to be a massive topic (laughs) with today's youth. It is, I think, probably with everyone. My thoughts are this. I don't know if you can necessarily teach it. I think there's teachable moments where resilience is important. And we only get those moments usually by failing or when things are hard or when we're faced with circumstances outside of our control. And I think those are the times that we can use those teachable moments to see what our emotions are telling us, where our energy is and what our focus is on. I often say to our guys and people that I'm coaching that, you know, the next play or the next moment is often the most important one. So we are all human. And I think elements of frustration and getting yourself caught up in things is is being human. And it's acknowledging that we're all human. But I think if we can also acknowledge sometimes that if our energy is directed in things that are outside of our control, we're getting lost in things that have absolutely no relevance or helpfulness to us in moving forward. So I think those teachable moments are recognizing that, well, hang on, let's have some self-reflection here. This hasn't worked out and that's okay because that's life and things are going to go pear-shaped and we're going to have to navigate our way through. But where's my energy and where's my focus and where's my thought process to help me go forward rather than constantly lamenting what's happening and always looking back in the rear view we miss out on the things right in front of us. So I kind of use that as my teachable moments when we're faced with those scenarios and those situations that I think they're the perfect way to develop resilience.
experience rather than a set teaching method. Now, you're involved in a study around semi-professional AFL footballers, concussion, and I think depression. What were the key learnings from that? It was one of my PhD students that I was on a supervisory team for back at Notre Dame, and it was looking at depression and mental well-being. So self-reported symptoms, they had to self-report, and we looked at concussion. It actually looked at undiagnosed concussion as well, so even head knocks. And the whole purpose of the study was to take head knocks a little bit more seriously rather than just always waiting for a lot of the time in sport, we wait for that formal diagnosis on head knocks. There's been some controversy around that as well and that we've had to change rules and make sure that we're a little bit more stringent with our diagnoses. But a lot of times people don't report, they get head knocks and they don't have symptoms for a while. So they're not diagnosed with a concussion. And what we were finding is that there was a link between having head knocks and a mental roller coaster happening, you know, in the weeks past that. So we tracked a group of semi-professional AFL footballers over the course of the season. There was some links there towards depressive symptoms, impulsive and risk-taking behaviors, not just from guys that were having a diagnosed concussion, but for guys that were also getting head knocks across the year as well. So it was sort of surrounding a duty of care and making sure that People don't feel afraid to report symptoms and that changes in well-being and emotions is a serious issue, uh, particularly in contact sports, not only based on a diagnosed concussion, but anytime you take a head knock. Very topical at the moment. It is. Yeah. Very much so. What's one piece of advice you can give to somebody that may be struggling to motivate their team, whether it's in the workplace or sport? How do you get people to share your passion for a vision? I think finding out people's why is really important to motivate them. I think if you're struggling with individuals, I think getting to know them and finding out their why, what is their purpose and why they want to do this. And I think if you can find out someone's why, you can link your motivation strategies to that. Like I've worked with players before that I say to them, what's your why for being here? And their answer may be, I just enjoy my teammates and being around my teammates. And if they're struggling with things or if they're bringing negative energy to things, I will tap into that and say, well, at the moment, your negative energy is hurting this team and your teammates. And you're telling me that's your why, but yet you're not engaging enough to, you know, you're telling me that you want to be with your teammates and you're you're trying to help them, but yet this is the issue. So I think digging under and finding out people's why is a really key way to help to motivate people as well. And I think if you understand their goals, so a lot of times in basketball, our motivation strategies are usually talking to the guys in player development meetings and one-on-one about what their goals are and where they want to go. So if I can understand where they want to go, that's a really great motivational hook for me. I can get them to invest with me. They know I'm invested in them and their goal and what their interests are. And then together we can go somewhere with this shared vision. So that for me, I think would be my advice. Now, I believe you were the first female coach to head coach in the NBL during preseason, but then I also believe that you were the first coach to coach any professional sport in Australia. What advice have you got for other up-and-coming female coaches, whether it's in the female or male domain? I think just go for it. That That's my advice. I think often for females, yes, we need opportunities. I'm, that's 100% correct. We do need opportunities. But I think often the biggest thing that stops us is us and that imposter syndrome in our head and doubting ourselves that we're not 
quite good enough or we're not sure if we can do this. And I think about walking into the Sydney Kings on the first day and thinking, I have no idea if I can do this, (laughs) but we're about to find out. And I think that most females have that element of self-doubt. And I think it's overcoming that and knowing that you don't have to have all the answers. None of us have all the answers, males, females, wherever you are in whatever situation. So I think if you can understand that learning by doing and throwing yourself in that, asking questions, being curious, I think that is the ultimate way to move forward and put yourself in a position to go chase your dream like I was able to do with the Sydney Kings. So that's my advice. Now, I also noticed that you've lectured in gender-based sporting topics. So what are the differences in your point of view between coaching women and men? I get asked this question a lot and I haven't coached women for a good like eight, nine years now. I've mainly been in like men's programs. There isn't actually much difference um, in terms of pure, like we just talk gender differences. I actually don't believe there is much difference. In terms of style of play of basketball, it's a little bit of difference in style of play. You know, I've, I sort of say that men obviously play a little bit more vertically and above the rim at times, but for me, there isn't that much difference. There are more differences between understanding individuals than there are as, as gender. And I think that's sort of the thing that's held me really well across coaching in that individuals are different. Everyone is diverse. Everyone is variable. And I think understanding individuals rather than trying to pinhole genders leads you down a very confusing pathway. So for me, I have this really open mind, curious approach, really love getting to know people as individuals and all my players, whether it's it's male, female, adults, juniors, that's the whole point. So personalities are diverse, individuals are different, and that's the whole fun in coaching. Is your goal to be the head coach of an NBL team? <laughs> it's another question I get asked all the time. <laughs> um, I'm not sure at the moment. I think that it's something that I really enjoyed coaching in preseason. I just I knew it would come with a lot of attention, so I downplayed it a lot. And I probably felt the weight of the world a little bit, despite the fact that it was only preseason. But I also just tried to enjoy myself and. The guys were so wonderful about it. They were so pumped for me and we sucked. I don't know if you saw the game, but we were terrible. Um, <laughs> so it wasn't the greatest game uh, to coach, but I had so much fun. So it's certainly something that I think has piqued my curiosity and something that I'm not going to rule out. But at the moment, I'm just trying to learn as much as possible. This is my second year in the NBL and I don't know where it's going to go from here. So I'm not saying never, and it's certainly something that I'm keeping my options open about. But as to what the future holds, I'm not really sure. Well, I wish you all the luck with whichever Thank decision you. or opportunity you get. Now, the Kings recently enjoyed this the second longest winning streak, winning 13 games in a row, I think, last year. I know that must feel good, but I'm interested to know how you deal with you know the heartbreaking losses. And with this team this year, Obviously, you've had a lot of change. So how do you look to regenerate, you know, this year's team to that mindset? I think, you know, last year we started the season pretty slow. We were three and six before we sort of went on went on this run and then five and seven and then reeled off the, the 13. So I think for me as an individual, I hopefully don't get too high or too low. I think with, with age and experience, you tend to be able to navigate things probably slightly better due to experience and going through a lot of different things. And I think not being always in the professional sports bubble, I've experienced a lot. I've I've been through a lot of different situations and dealt with a lot of different things and scenarios. So 
for me, my entire life isn't usually wrapped up in whether I win or lose a basketball game. So despite the fact in the immediate aftermath of a half-breaking loss, yeah, you're down. But we are also pretty good at moving on as a group. You've usually got a game two days later, so you've got no choice but to look forward. So we'll typically do a game review, highlight things that needs to be fixed. Everyone's really locked in, but you also got to understand that you're, you're dealing with really motivated human beings. Like this is their job. So for them, I think it probably hits a little bit harder because for all of us, now that I've come into professional sport, the pressure in professional sport is a lot that this is someone's job. So you have a bad day that can impact your contract or your playing time. And it's a little bit more pronounced than just where I've been previously. So I completely understand that in terms of the pressure, but I also think trying to be positive and helping people move forward, focusing on processes rather than just wins and losses and just outcomes all the time, I think is really helpful in terms of people's development and us growing as a team. And I think this year, with new guys coming in, we're really lucky that we've got seven returning guys from last year. So that's very helpful in a system and they understand the style of play. Our new guys, I think, are really useful to us as a staff. And like overall, I think we're a pretty positive staff. Like we are able to generate energy and passion on the good days and even on the bad days. So as a group, I think that encourages our guys and they know that, all right, we're going to move forward. So it's not that difficult usually to motivate them. They're a pretty driven group of individuals. And after the heartbreaking ones, you just need to regroup, go back to processes, see what you need to fix, and then move on to the next. So there's been some recent controversy around the sponsorship with Netball Australia via Hancock Prospecting. I'm really interested just in your point of view with players challenging commercial arrangements. Well, I'll disclose right from the start. I I actually played against Danelle in basketball in Western Australia sort of back in the day. So I actually know Danelle really well, but I've been reading the Netball Australia stuff with interest. I used to lecture in one of my topics back in my social justice. You mentioned the gender studies. One of the topics was athletes as activists and talking about that we tend to in society be very okay with entertainers and singers and actors jumping on the activist bandwagons. But when athletes speak up, they're basically told to shut up and they don't get a say. I side on the fact that athletes should be able to speak about whatever social issue that they want. And I think that whilst I completely understand the sponsorship need for net, netball and netball struggling at the moment and that injection and that commercialization of sport is vital for sports to survive. I also think that gone are the days where people just can be told to shut up and cope with stuff. When something is as important as race and gender issues and homophobia and all these things that I think impact a minority of society that often gets ignored, then I applaud people with their bravery to speak up. And I hope someone throws Netball Australia a lifeline, but I will never, ever tell athletes not to speak up about social injustices because I think that's far too much what happens in society currently. Well, thank you for sharing that. Now, we've got our buzzer beaters, which are five rapid-fire questions to wrap up the interview with rapid-fire answers. Sure. Who has better beaches, Sydney or Perth? Perth, no question. (laughs) What does your morning routine look like? Coffee, coffee, and possibly another coffee before (laughs) it all gets started. Best team in the NBL this season, apart from the Kings? I don't don't want to say it. Sorry, I don't want to say anyone, but I will go whoever's second. Sean Bruce or Shea Yili? Sean Bruce. Should a Xavier Cooks make the Australian team and why? Yes, because he's Xavier Cooks and he's the best player in the NBL. 
Okay. That's all we have time for, but thanks so much for joining me. You've been fantastic. Thanks. Thanks so much, Matthew. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Building Teams podcast. For more information about Matt and Nun Media, visit nunmedia.com.au. Follow the show for future episodes and leaving a review or rating helps others find the podcast.